All right, let's take our Bibles now and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Really grateful for Jonathan Monk last week uh, taking us out of Nehemiah into Exodus and looking at the principle there that we see at work in Nehemiah, that the Lord is always calling us to things that feel too big for us so that we might experience all that he is in the midst of our need. So that was last week. Two weeks ago, we finished uh, by in Nehemiah 4, verse 6, just this one verse. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. That was the only verse two weeks ago. If you weren't here, here it is boiled down two major points from that single verse. First, when they had, it says, a mind to work, it's not referring to their job. It's referring to what they did as volunteers in the rebuilding of the wall. And the life of the church, Christian Family Chapel, we will only be who God intends us to be and accomplish what God intends us to accomplish in this community and to the ends of the earth when we, like them, have a mind to serve. That when our job is done, what we do for paid employment, that the rest of the time is not just time to do what we want for what we want, when we want, but it's to say, God has made me to be an investor in the kingdom of God. How can I, beyond my job, how can I serve? They had a mind to serve, a heart to serve. And that's what we're asking the Lord to do in this body. That as we see the brokenness and the burn in our world, that we'd have a mind, a heart to serve, to say we can be difference makers. The second point from this simple verse was, it says the whole wall was joined together to half its height. And our simple phrase was half tall was better than none at all. So they were, and this is important, they were making progress. And that's important. Verse 6 sets up what we're going to see in this next section in chapter 4 because where there's progress, there should be some expectation on our part of what happens when we make progress. Now, let me define when I say when we make progress. When we place faith in Christ, the scripture says that we are born again. We become new creatures in Christ. But we don't become perfect by any means, do we? No, we have to learn to walk in this newness of life. And that learning to walk in this new life is progress. Maybe those of you who are married can go, we got married, but we didn't really know how to be married when we first got married. But we have made progress. We're learning to live and function in oneness like we once didn't. There is progress, what we ask the Lord for, for this body as a whole. 
as we consider how God has placed us in this community, and there are those who do not know the Lord, as we share the gospel, as we take the gospel to the community, as we bless our neighbors and people respond, that's progress. When we look at the unreached in the world and we see the billions who have never heard and and we choose a place in India and say, we're going to invest our resources to take a place that doesn't have the gospel, that they would hear the gospel, that's progress. See, what's happening here physically, a a wall that wasn't to now a wall that's half tall, is progress. And we, by God's grace, are as a church and as individuals making progress, growing more and more like Christ, impacting this community more and more with Christ. And when there's progress, there are new challenges to progress. And that's what the text is about today. It's about looking at facing the challenges of progress. We're going to look at verses 7 through 14 in Nehemiah chapter 4. And five, I think, very helpful insights in this passage for facing the challenge of progress. Let's start in verse 7. Now, when Sam Ballot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, so the, those who are against what's happening is growing. If you go back and trace, it starts with just Samballad and Tobiah, and then the Arabs, and then the Ammonites, and then Ashdodites. It keeps growing. When they heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, in other words, that it was progressing, and that the breaches began to be closed, progress, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Pretty clear. Where there's progress, what should there be an expectation of? Where there's progress, there should be an expectation of greater resistance. If you're married and you're not getting along, there's no need for our enemy to try to disrupt your marriage. It's already disrupted. But where there's humility and compassion and there's love and there's sacrifice, a marriage that moves from two people living separate lives, though married, to two people beginning to live in oneness, you should in your marriage expect that there's going to be resistance. Progress will always be met with resistance. As a church, as long as we're content to go, and we're just going to gather and have the sweetest, best time when we worship, and we're going to study our Bibles and take lots of notes, but we're never going to actually take the gospel into this community. We're never going to seek to say, who are the lonely in this community that need relationship? As long as we're willing to ignore the lost, as long as we're willing to ignore the lonely, as long as we just say, hey, people get divorced, there's no, we just can't stop that. As long as we stay unengaged, then it'll be simply 
smooth sailing for the church. Why? Because we are what Jesus calls salt that has lost its saltiness. And there is no need to bring resistance against the church where there is no threat to our enemy's intention to keep those who are lost blind to the gospel. But listen, if your heart becomes broken for your neighbors who don't know the Lord and you seek to bless and you remember you begin to pray and you intentionally say, I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to invite them into my home and begin to eat with them. And I'm going to look for opportunities to serve them and opportunities to share the story of God's grace in my life and God's grace in their life. If, you, if that starts to be in your heart, you can, you can be absolutely certain that progress is going to be met by resistance. I expect when we say, instead of just taking the resources to build ourselves nicer things here, instead say, no, let's invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in reaching an unreached people group in northwest India, I expect that the enemy would come against this church. It's true individually. It's true corporately. That where we seek to bless, to engage, to pour ourselves out, to be God's instrument, there will be resistance. Now, why am I taking all these minutes for this reason? Sometimes we think, too often we go, oh, resistance. This must be the Lord closing the door. This is hard. Oh, this must be God shutting us down. No, actually, when there is resistance, we might go, wow, We're actually a threat. 32 years at the chapel now. I've shared this, but hear it again. 32 years at the chapel has taught me this. Anytime we and every time we as a church get really laser focused on reach this community, we see resistance blow up within the church. That's not the Lord slowing us down. That's our enemy saying, hey, that's, that church is now progressing towards Christ-likeness. There needs to be resistance to that. Any resistance in your life? Or is the lack of resistance of an enemy seeking to dis- disrupt you evidence? There's no progress. So, Lord, break our heart for that which is broken in this world. Break us that we might become your instrument toward progress, towards announcing your kingdom, towards declaring the gospel. And expect, as the Lord answers that prayer, progress of the resistance in your life. So how do you deal when there's progress with resistance? What's the text say? How did they deal with resistance? I believe it's uh, next verse. Verse 9. What do you do? 
Yeah, this is not complicated, but we prayed to our God. Now, don't blow by it too quickly, but we, in other words, more than, more than the leader, more than Nehemiah, we, but we prayed. Lord, we're crying out to you. There's resistance. Thank you. That's good. We prayed to our God. I love the nature of that prayer. We prayed to our God. Our God is for us. So expect resistance and then learn to pray. And not just learn to pray, learn to pray first. Learn to pray first. There was resistance, verse 9, but we prayed to our God. That, that is not very American. What, what do we normally do? There's resistance and we form a, a team. We form a strategy. We put a group together and say, how can we solve this? Don't you? You have resistance in your life. You have a challenge in your life. And the first thing you tend to do is to go, how can I, how can I resolve this? I hope we'll learn, church, personally as well. Let's be people who the first thing we do is pray. The first thing, not the last thing. I, I don't know what else to do, but pray. You ever said that? I don't know what else to do. I, I guess I'll just pray. And, and even that, I'll just pray. I don't know what else to do. I'll just pray. Not that that does anything, but I guess I'll, I'll just pray. No, I'll first pray. They came against us, disturbance. We prayed to our God. Would you take that? Would you take that person? Would you take that as a family? Would you take that as a couple? Would you take that as a family group? Resistance, but we pray to our God. Pray first, but it's not pray only, but we pray first. So what'd they pray? We prayed to our God. What'd they pray? What's it tell you? It doesn't. You're like, I don't see it. I don't say. That's because it doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us what they prayed. But here's what I can tell you it tells us what they prayed when the church in Acts first was formed. And watch, look, they were making progress. It says that day by day, more and more people were being added to the church. People were hearing the gospel, believing, and being born again. They went from 12 to 100 to thousands, and then day by day, more progress was happening. Resistance came. They arrested them. They threatened to beat them if they didn't shut up about the gospel. That, that's really true. They said, stop it, or we're going to harm you. And I love what Acts 4.29 tells us. The first thing they did, they came back, they told the church, and the church said, let's put a security team together. No, it didn't. They didn't. The first thing they did is they got together and they prayed. And here's how they pray. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. We never say stuff like that. We say stuff like, get them and stop them and protect us. And, Lord, when it settles down, we'll reengage. There's something powerful about what the church prays. 
the early church prayed, that I think we as a church and we as individuals could really grow from. Take note of their threats. You see it, Lord. You see the decisions being made. You know what they're saying. You know what they say they're going to do. Take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Shut up or we'll harm you. Lord, take note of that and And help us to continue. Help us to continue. Not take it away. Help us continue. It's what Paul declared. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. See what the church prayed corporately? He asked for prayer individually. Uh, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. In other words, I'm already in prison for doing this. He doesn't pray, Lord, get me out. He doesn't say, Lord, get him back. He says, Lord, make me bold in continuing to do what you've called me to do. Whatever it is, the rubble that you have said, Lord, I want to be a difference maker in this. Expect if you make progress, expect if the Lord continues to, to use you and lives are impacted, children come to Christ, lonely people find relationship, lost find Christ, expect resistance. And in that moment, pray first and pray this. Lord, take note of the heart and make me bold. Keep me on track. So pray, pray first. But we pray to our God and, and this is good, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. You, you catch that? Sometimes we don't pray, we just set up the guard. Sometimes we pray and go, Lord, we're just trusting you. And he was like, that's great. And y'all, you ought to set up a guard. Is setting up a guard a lack of faith? No, it's not a lack of faith. They prayed in faith and they acted in faith. And the beauty, and we're about to see something incredibly helpful. The beauty of what he does is he pray, prays first and then they set up a guard, but just not anywhere. Drop down to verse 13. And here's where he says he strategically sets up a guard. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places. What's he saying? He's saying in the city, in Jerusalem, progress is happening, but even in progress, there are some places in that city more vulnerable than other places. And where he was able to say, that's most vulnerable. There's where the, law, low, the wall is lowest. There's an exposed place because the gates are not yet up. Let's set a guard there. Why is that important to you and I? Because just as in that city, there were some places more vulnerable than others, in your life and in my life, I am more vulnerable 
to the enemy's attack in my life in some places than in other places. You understand what I'm saying? When the enemy wants to shut you down, shut you up, different things work for different people. And one of the challenges of progress is resistance. We deal with the resistance with prayer and pray first and do what? We set up a guard where? Where we are most vulnerable. I honestly identify where I remain most vulnerable. And now this becomes a principle that you think about very personally. Where are you most vulnerable to the attack of the enemy who wants to shut you up, shut you down? Let me name a few. You see which connects with you. Some of you are most vulnerable with the attack that brings fear. However that may come, but fear. Fear is the enemy's entree into your life. If he can scare you, you'll shut up. For some of you, it's depression. You're an emotional person. And when you're high and happy and just loving life, nothing can stop you. But then clouds roll in and shuts you down, shuts you up. Some of you are most vulnerable to lust, sexual temptation. Discredit you. Some of you are vulnerable to jealousy. You look around, you see other people more fruitful. You see what they have. You see what the Lord's doing in their life. And jealousy is a low place for you in your life. Or greed. You know there are folks who are broken and burned in your life, but it's your love for money that's going to keep you from pursuing them. Some of us are lazy. It's work. And I want to work. I have a job. That's when I, that's when I work. And when my job's done, I just want to relax. Comfort. For some, there's an addiction. Alcohol. Drugs. That's the, it's the Andre. That's the vulnerable place in your life. 
and it shuts you down, shuts you up. Some of it's, it's pride. We may fail, and our pride cannot allow us to fail. Or we might not get the attention we want, and our pride demands that we get the attention. I can't go do all the hard work of ministering to old folks. Nobody, nobody champions that. Nobody celebrates that, and my pride wants applause. The question is, what sin easily entangles you? That's the New Testament version, what sin easily entangles you for the Nehemiah picture of where's the low place in the wall of your life? Now, I, uh, this is, this is a, it's a sobering question. Uh, let me bring it back to this bigger question. Does everybody have a low place in their life? Yes. Well, my low place is as low as somebody else's. Maybe not. You have a low place, and you just exposed one of them. (laughs) All of us, all of us have vulnerable places in our life. And not only vulnerable places in our life, we have vulnerable times in our life. It's not only what sin easily entangles me, it's when am I most vulnerable. And that can be as unique as where. In other words, some of us are most vulnerable when we are alone. And some of us are most vulnerable when we're surrounded by people or certain people. Some of us are most vulnerable because we are 100 miles an hour, pedal to the metal. And many of us are most vulnerable when we're bored. Some at night. Some are vulnerable just when we're hungry. Seriously. Because those just God-given desires just open the door to other sinful desires. See, the beauty, uh, I want us to acknowledge we have low places, we have weak moments and weak places in our life so that we can honestly learn to post a guard there. Progress in my life and progress in your life and progress in this church will will be ceased when we fail to recognize where are we vulnerable and when are we vulnerable. Because if we will first honestly identify that, where I am weak, where the low places and the low moments in my life are, then I can do what Nehemiah did for Jerusalem. Look at it again. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. You see what he did? 
He went, let's pray. Because we pray first. And then let's honestly acknowledge. Where have I learned the enemy comes after me? Where does he know I'm susceptible? And let's proactively invite others in to that low place in our life. Let's invite them in to where we need them, when we need them. This is so obvious in a physical realm. You go, of course, that's not brilliant by Nehemiah. It's a low place. Put people there. But we don't tend to do that individually, do we, friends? Where there are low places in our life, what do we tend to do with that? Hide it. Act like it's not true. And don't tell anybody because we don't want people to know about that in our lives. We do the exact opposite of what Nehemiah did physically. We hide those places in our life instead of saying, here's where I'm vulnerable. And he invites men, go here. Here's where we're at risk. And not just men, Who else did he invite there? What did it say? Families who brought swords, spears, and bows. In other words, don't miss this. He he said, let's put the right people who have the right tools and skills where we need them most in our lives. If, (laughs) if we were to actually take the risk of inviting somebody into our life where we are potentially vulnerable to the enemy's attack. If we invite them in, oftentimes we invite the wrong people in. We we invite people in who who will go, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't need you to be sorry. I need you to swing a sword. Seriously, it's right people who can actually help me. People, families with swords are this, people who love me and are willing to do what's needed when I need help. See, I think think you're probably all able to identify A man who deals with a vulnerable low place in his life of lust has got to share that with other men and invite them into his life to say, when I'm out of town, when I'm on my own, don't forget about me. Call me. Text me. Pray for me. Ask me. Family, people who love me with swords, spears, and bows, people who can help me. You got any of those in your life? See, I think most of us know where the low places are. But have you invited anybody in? Who can help you? They'll take some courage 
because it'll take humility. Have you invited anybody in? And are you that for anybody? See, this is, can I say church? Churches in our current day boil down to so much of, hey, come and, and experience something together. And that's a part of church. But another very, very important part of being the church is not just coming together to experience. It's being there for one another in our time of need. And that's why we just, we just can't just show up and be just no names. I like the music. I like the teaching. I'm glad for that. Do you have relationship within the body of Christ that you have invited people into the low places and you have been available and willing to go into the vulnerable place for them? That's what God intends the church to be, CFC. And that takes courage because it takes humility. And it takes a willingness to say, if I'm going to step into other people's vulnerable places, that means that's going to be hard and it's going to be inconvenient. It's how we function. There's a lot of great passages in Nehemiah. This might be the most critical one. It's not just knowing. It's inviting folks in. And then Nehemiah does something for them that we must learn to do for one another. When I saw their fear, see? When I, when I saw that they understood they were vulnerable, they were weak. When I saw their fear, I rose and, next word, I spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. There is a time where we need to learn to speak to ourselves and to one another in these moments and learn what to say. What's he say? Three things. First, do not be afraid of them. There's something you should know about them that would cause you, don't be afraid of them. Second, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And third, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. First big principle. Well, let's track it through. Progress will bring resistance. How do we deal with resistance first? Pray. Then we recognize resistance is going to come where I'm most vulnerable. So I Invite people who can help and love me into those low places. And then I learn to boldly declare truth in the time of need. It's not only what we say, and we're going to look at some things that we should learn to say. It's not only what we say. It's learning to say it when we need it.
the real shortcoming of our gatherings is simply this. We hear what we need to hear when we actually don't need it. See, very few of you are just right in the midst of facing temptation in your life, like right now. You needed to hear what I'm saying last night. But we often don't hear the truth when we need it. And this is partly about bringing the right people into our lives. We bring people into our lives in our vulnerable places because, listen, because we most need to hear truth when we least want to hear truth. Right? You came this morning because you're like, yeah, I want to hear truth. And this is good. I like it. I'm writing it down. I should remember this. But then when temptation comes, we're like, mm, I don't want to hear truth. I want to satisfy my desires. <laughs> Where I'm weak, I, I just want to yield and let them overrun the wall. We invite people into our lives who are willing to say what we need to hear when we don't want to hear it. You hear that? If somebody invites you into their life for a vulnerability, be willing to say what they need to hear when they don't want to hear it. Oh, I don't want to be that guy. Zero help. Zero help then. Hate to tell you, zero help if you're unwilling to say what needs to be said because they don't want to hear it. That's the whole point. Quite frankly, that's why we do membership here at CFC. When you become a member at CFC, what you are ultimately saying is this. I'm inviting you into my life to speak truth to me even when I don't want to hear it. Do you ever not want to hear truth? Yeah. That's, folks, come on. There's plenty of times we don't want to hear truth, which is when we need to hear it most. Why you invite people in. It's what Nehemiah does for them that we need to learn to do for others and, quite frankly, learn to do for ourselves. I need to learn to declare truth to myself even when I don't want to hear it. And I said he deals with three things. First, he said, don't be afraid of them. Declare truth in the time of need about temptation. And I'm going to have to run through these real quickly. Truth about temptation. First and foremost, Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way it seems right to men, but the end there is death. That is what you and I need to say when we are vulnerable to temptation in our life. Pride will bring death. Lust will bring death. Greed will bring death. Fear will bring death. Drunkenness will bring death death. We need to go. There's a way that seems right. There's a way that feels good, but that is going to lead to death. At a men's retreat, I shared with guys some very practical statements to say when they are being tempted. The regret will be greater than the thrill. Speak it. This will destroy me. This will destroy my relationships with those I love. 
This will grieve the spirit and keep me from hearing God. This will entice me, but never satisfy me. Satan is a liar and he hates me. This is candy coated poison. You have been here before. You know the end. Those are truths we need to declare in the time of need. We can write them down now, and that's great. You just got to know where they are and have them with you. If we will pray and declare truth in the time of need, we will overcome. There is no temptation overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. God will always provide a way of escape. God has always provided a way of escape for you. It's not that he didn't provide a way. It's that you went, mm, I don't want that way anymore. Right? Do you know your heart well enough to go that you went, there's the way, I don't want it. So we need to declare, no, the Lord has provided a way of escape. I do not have to pursue this. Uh, This vulnerable place does not have to be a losing place. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. What's my point here? This. We're so afraid of confession, of revealing ourselves, that it's going to wreak havoc and bring bad into our life, that we hide our sin. And the scripture says this. Here's the truth you need to hear. As long as you keep silent, you are trapped in your shame. As long as you keep silent. You think confession will bring the heart. No, it's the hiding that keeps you trapped in the heart. Blessed is the man whose sins have been forgiven. That's the blessed man. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Declare truth about God. We declare the truth about that which is tempting us, where we are vulnerable, where we are weak, and then we declare truth about God. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Well, some people go, no one. Oh, no, that's not true. There's always people against us. We have an enemy who hates us. He is against us. The point is that they're not against us. The point is our God is greater. He is more awesome than they are. That's why Nehemiah says to them, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God will never withhold good from your life. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother, and every good thing given and every perfect gift is 
from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. If it is not from the Lord, it's not good. Remember that. If it's not from the Lord, it's not good. It may look good. It may sound good. If it's not from the Lord, it's not good. Because everything that's good is, what's it say? From the Lord. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. What's he telling them? (laughs) Very simply this. Remember what matters most. Because it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to, to end up laying our lives out for stuff that we know in our heart and mind. It really doesn't matter, but we end up yielding that which matters for stuff that doesn't. All of us have done it, and it's because we didn't, in the moment of temptation, in the low spot in our life, in the weak moment, we didn't go, why am I going to yield what matters most for that which doesn't? We have to learn to declare truth in the time of need, not only for ourselves, but for others, to do for one another what Nehemiah did for them. So I want us to do what he said. Remember your God who is great and awesome. Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Guys, if you would come and let's bring the elements to the Lord's Supper. This is remembering the Lord who is for us. Remembering the Lord who has not withheld his son from us. Remembering the Lord who is great and awesome. Remembering the Lord who demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay. This is when you very easily go into church mode. This is when you go, oh, okay, you wait. This is what Jesus said to do in remembrance of him. To take again these simple elements, a piece of unleavened bread, a cup, and remember, he who knew no sin, look, he who knew no sin lived a perfect life became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, so that we might, even in the low, vulnerable places in our life, that we might not be slaves to sin. See, this is a personal moment because you know where your weak places are. You know where you've taken your body that Jesus died for and used it to satisfy yourself. And this is a time to remember Christ died to set you free from sin, set you free from the penalty of sin and to set you free from the power of sin in your life. That the weak places might not become the losing places. That the low places in your life Don't become the losing places.
You know what the cross is? The cross is God meeting us. God sending his son to us in the lowest place of our life where we could not help ourselves and saying, I'll fight for you. And what did he bring? Not a sword, but a cross. And through the cross, he conquered sin and death for us. So take a moment, if you would, and just in the quietness of this moment, I know the guys are still passing. Thank the Lord. Thank him for his death, burial, resurrection. Thank him for making you part of his family through his son. Take a quiet moment to declare how good he is, how much he loves you. To declare he is for you. To remember nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If a low place has been a losing place, would you confess that to him now? Don't hide it. Invite him into it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. declare what matters most right now. Truth. Love. Righteousness. The kingdom of God. Eternity. The glory of God. The purity of the church. your marriage. Lord, we confess we're often fearful and forgetful. And we live as slaves to our desires. Thank you for meeting us in our time of need being our help, our savior, our leader. For making us your family, we're grateful. Let's take in remembrance of him. Would you stand and let's declare together our gratitude that we're in this together as the family, sons and daughters of God. When the lies speak loudly.
out for each other that begins with praying for each other inviting each other in and i encourage you if you need as doug said you you've identified those low places invite someone in today don't wait till tomorrow or next week or the next time you're tempted invite someone today and if we can pray for you right now we have men and women who are available between each auditorium who are there to pray for you individually and it would be uh, their joy to do that So I hope you have a blessed day. Let's go as the family of God. Be blessed. See you next time.